step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads? Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up, it's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the nerd party show in which we take a look at all the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're going to be taking a look at the movies released... On February 18th, 1994. 1994. What a, what a year it's been so far, <laughs> revisiting 1994, Mike. Just, yeah. just magnificent so far. I mean, I think probably my favorite movie of the year so far is Blink. Uh, I have a new favorite uh, as of this week. Uh, so do actually. I. So do yeah. I. So let's go through it. Only three new movies this week. Reality Bites, Blue Chips, and On Deadly Ground. So let's start at the bottom of the box office. (laughs) Coming in at number five with $7 million is Reality Bites. This movie directed by Ben Stiller, starring Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke, and Ben Stiller, Janine Garofalo, Steve Zahn. Do you want to give a synopsis of this? Uh, yes. In this uh, slacker comedy designed to capture the feel, the zeitgeist, if you will, of Generation X, a band of four friends goes through with one of them videotaping uh, their exploits and their discussions as interludes between uh, different Scenes involving them in zany situations. Yes. Yes. So this movie got 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. It it was directed by Ben Stiller, which, you know, I'm pretty sure it was his first movie. Uh, You know, obviously he's kind of known for things like Zoolander and The Cable Guy. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting to see him doing something much more indie uh, out of the gate. And... I had seen this movie prior to this, but you had not, right? No, this is a this is a brand new experience. I can confidently say that though the movie is about you know quote unquote my generation, I was not really the target demographic for a movie like this, uh, especially back then. I liked my movies loud and explosive. I sort of occupied that space, I guess, where you could say Ethan Hawke's character was, where I was. Uh, I, w- I wasn't really uh, happy with the the trends of of my social groups around me, sort of thing. So okay, all right. Yeah. Well, what did you what did you think? I did not care for it. Okay. There's a moment in this movie 
where it gets its title from, Reality Bites, where Ben Stiller's company has taken Winona Ryder's uh, emotional, raw, uh, real footage of the emotions and lives of her friends and cynically edited it together with uh, catchy music and um, you know uh, visual cues designed to just capture what the modern audience is after. And I consider that to be a, uh, an incredibly honest appraisal of the movie itself from the standpoint of the viewer. I just I thought this was cynical exploitation of uh, the wave of movies that were going on at the time. And uh, the only bright spot I took from it was that I basically see this as Ethan Hawke workshopping Jesse for the Before Trilogy. I mean, he really did have that vibe going for it. And it really did feel like whether it was a Cameron Crowe movie or a Richard Linklater movie or, or whatever, but it definitely felt like of that genre. And I personally feel like it was a worthy addition to that genre. Um, I, I, I only saw it one time back probably in like 1998 uh, watching it while working at a comic book store. And because of that, I was probably not giving it my full attention. But I, I did enjoy it back then, but I basically didn't remember anything about it. So seeing it now was almost like seeing it for the first time. And I really liked it a lot. I think it's easily the best movie we've seen so far from 1994 and uh yeah i thought like the, the cast was charming i thought the story was you know very moving in a lot of ways i could definitely relate to those characters even though they were a little bit older than i was back then probably about like an eight year difference but i felt like i knew them because like at that time working in the comic book store, I was basically hanging out with people who were about seven or eight years older than me. And they were basically the characters in this movie. And I always felt and still to this day feel like in some ways I was born like maybe like seven years too late. And like, I would have really fit in with like this crowd compared to, you know, the, the one that, that I stepped into and uh, yeah, uh, because of that, it, I, I liked it. This was like the first of these movies that I really felt was like, like really captured the era, the, you know, 1994. And I, I liked that quite a bit. My viewing, I, what I walked away with was I just did not see any real connection. I saw it, even though I'm intimately familiar with the era and the age range of that specific time. It just misses the authenticity. And the thing is, you mentioned Linklater. Like, Linklater, I didn't necessarily care for Dazed and Confused when I finally got around to seeing that. But it stuck to its guns, and its theme is consistent through the whole thing. And I think that Reality Bites, you have this ending that is pasted on there that belongs to the more escapist... Uh, magical ending sort of variety as opposed to something that would have been authentic to any sort of, you know, this is trying to be a realistic movie in those terms. 
you know, this is how reality is, is the feeling as it goes through. And then you still get the heroically happy ending at the end. And I think that it, that speaks just as much to what I see as just like the core dysfunction to it. And I, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, if I were to go through, I would trim down or even cut <laughs> almost entirely out the Steve Zahn, Janine Garofalo stuff, just so I could get more time with Ethan Hawke and Winona Ryder and develop that more. And I just, you know, I honestly didn't really buy Stiller in the role that he was in. It it felt out of place with the movie. He didn't come across as conveying the character adequately for me. I guess I didn't really have a problem with any of that stuff because I really saw it as being like Winona Ryder's movie and everyone else was just sort of, you know, hovering around her. So I didn't really need to see a lot more Ethan Hawke or, you know, anything like that. It 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 felt like it was a a reasonable balance because we were seeing the whole thing through her eye. Well, yeah, I I mean, I'm saying more interplay between those two characters. Yeah. It's excessive to say I would have cut out the other friends, but I would have had more with them because the the whole romance plot line with them felt obligatory. It felt like it had to happen and I didn't I didn't see it as a natural extension of where their characters were going so much as we we made this road and you're going to drive down it to get here. And so it, like there's just this sen- it's not a sense of fateful inevitability but script-based inevitability between them. Yeah, I guess when there were moments in there, like when she was dating Ben Stiller and, you know, Ethan Hawke was like, hey, where I was like, you know what? Like, it it just seems like this is the natural evolution. Like, she would not be dating Ethan Hawke. She would be dating Stiller. And, uh, you know, maybe that, you know, was a, a problem in relation to, you know, the shift at the end. But... I thought it worked well, and and I thought they did a good job with Stiller's character by not making him, aside from his very first scene, his introduction, like not making him like overly cartoonish as like the the suit, you know. I thought I thought they did a pretty good job with that. So I don't know. And the music, the music was excellent. You know, I need to listen to that soundtrack. I've, I've always heard about the soundtrack, but you know. It's it's a terrific soundtrack, and it gave unto the world Lisa Loeb's yeah. uh, awkward mixtape classic, uh, Stay, mm-hmm. which appeared on everybody's mixtapes yeah. for all time afterward. Oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. Just the, the, yeah, the, video. See, the thing is, oh, gosh. You don't like it? Not a fan? Well, no. It's, it's it's you know there are certain things where like music can transport you to a different. Like I listen to the mm-hmm. Star Wars soundtrack and I'm like, oh, I'm three years old again. Or I listen to Indiana Jones. Or I listen to Batman. You know, oh, I'm transported to another time and place. And then I hear the song "Stay" by Lisa Loeb. And I'm taken back to a place I don't want to go. Like, mm-hmm. and it's not. Oh boy, I'm going back. It's my fingernails are dug in and you're dragging me across the ground back to that era. Yeah, I, you know, you know who directed the video for "Stay." No, I don't. Ethan Hawke. Oh, really? Yeah. I feel like I should have. I feel like I should have remembered that. I don't know. You know, I, I. The soundtrack is full of great music. I will. I will give you that. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And and the thing is that I think it's uh, photographed very well. You know, especially the montage where they're 
you know, thinking of each other separated by, you know, uh, distance as they're thinking things. I thought that was really just a, a, a well put together montage, but it was basically a music video. And so that's cool. Well, you know who photographed it? Three-time Oscar winner Emmanuel Lebesky, who shot Gravity and Birdman and well, there you go. The Revenant. Well, there you go. That's exact. <laughs> that makes sense. Why the movie looked so good then? I know, right? This was like kid, one of his kid had first talent movies. Yeah, yeah. Two years later, he was nominated for The Little Princess, I guess, and yeah, the rest is history. Well, that's another one I never saw. I haven't seen but, yeah. it either. I think it's Quaron again, but yeah. yeah. So you know what's what's interesting to me before we you know before we like move on to anything else is is when you and I have that sort of very disparate sort of reaction. Mm-hmm. Like we're usually you know heading in the same general direction. We'll disagree here and there and stuff like that. But something like Reality Bites, it's always curious to me because this seems to me like the one where you and I should be locking in more than anything else. You know, like I can see the differences we have in other areas, but like Reality Bites is just one of those things where do you think it's just that this type of story is, you know, am I too hard-hearted to plug into it sort of thing? And this is sensitive, Mike, you know, this brings him to bear. Well, I don't exactly know the answer to that, but I will say that it kind of makes sense to me because the thing that I kept on thinking while watching it was this reminds me of early Kevin Smith. And I know how much you don't like Kevin Smith. So oh, no, oh, hold on. <laughs> early Kevin Smith. I am a fan of his work. Okay. Well then I I'm don't a fan understand of it. it. So, and I specifically, if you recall on one of our other shows, wherever along the line, I, uh, I officially called cessation to hostilities. Uh, yeah, my one sided one sided war against Kevin Smith was called off some time ago. Okay. But um no, like early Kevin Smith, like Clerks and Mallrats and Chasing Amy. I love those films. Okay. Those were awesome. Cuz this really felt like Chasing Amy in particular to me, but anyway. Huh. Now what can you do. So. Yeah, you know. All right, well should we move on to our second movie of the week? Let, let's let's do that, Mike. Let's do that. Coming in at number three at the box office with $11.4 million is William Friedkin's Blue Chips. Yeah. William Friedkin's Blue Chips. Uh, this movie stars Nick Nolte, and it received a 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm stunned that it received a rating that low. Well, an aggregate positive rating that low on Rotten Tomatoes. I am legitimately surprised by that. Okay. Well, what did you think? Uh, I had a, an overall positive reaction to it. Not an overwhelmingly positive, but um, it's a good movie. It's a mistake to rely too much on NBA stars to act. <laughs> but at the same time, Shaq is in a very limited role, and the scenes where Freakin is doing his thing, where he is acting almost like a documentarian, and where Nolte is free to be him and really just, you know, bring his full talents to bear. I think, I mean, there's some legitimately 
uh, you know, like there, there's so many words you can use. I wouldn't use the word spellbinding or anything like that, but there are legitimately parts where you get sucked in and you believe what you're watching. Even though, I mean, Nick Nolte is one of the most recognizable faces in Hollywood and voices, but when they're out on the court and the camera's cutting around and he's kicking the ball into the stands and he's flipping out in the locker room and you can sit there and you can say, wow, like you really believe in the character. And the downside is that there are arcs that I think would have worked better had they just had some different talent in a few places. But JT Walsh is in this. Ed O'Neill is in it. There, there are some really heavy hitters. Larry Bird shows up playing himself. And he, he has all about... It's not, it's not that he has five lines. He has about five words. And they're all delivered one at a time, which is pretty great. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought that it, it was massively interesting. And at the end, you could... You could maybe react poorly, I guess, to the soapbox that they give Nick Nolte time to step up onto. Uh, and then the coda is very discordant. They don't earn it. They, there's no passage of time that makes the coda work particularly well. But overall, it's a well-put-together movie, interesting, and, you know, in general, really good performances. I definitely wanted to check this one out um, because, you know, it seemed like an interesting subject. And, you know, I do like Friedkin, although I'm not, you know, over the moon for him or anything like that. But I just didn't have a chance. I was too busy watching another basketball movie, High Flying Bird, the new Soderbergh film. So, you know, you got to have priorities and all that good stuff. I can't blame you. Can't blame you. Yeah. But I'll try to get around to it at some point this year, you know, because I want to be as complete as I can. And I feel like in any other week, this would have been the movie that I would have picked. You know, you know, it's re- what's really interesting, too, about Freakin is even his movies that I would classify as, you know, quote unquote, bad. Uh, you know, The Hunted with uh, Tommy Lee Jones oh, yeah. and uh, Benicio Del Toro. I, that movie is not particularly good, but like the knife fighting scenes are amazing and some of the stuff with del toro like out in the wild is amazing and you you see even in his his lesser works like what friedkin is capable of and i I just think there are more parts of this that work than don't all right number one at the box office Mm -hmm. with 14.9 million dollars a lot of money steven seagal's on deadly ground uh, yes. 10% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Generous. <laughs> I know you were really excited about this movie. I was. What did you think? I was. Okay. It should be humbling to everybody on the face of the planet to realize that at one point, Steven Seagal was such a big star that he could open this movie at number one. <laughs> Not any movie, but this movie in specific. To be fair, I think it's the very next week it like dropped to number three, and Ace Ventura took the Recaptured. number one slot. Yeah. So. On Deadly Ground is okay. I, because this is a touchstone that I use all of the time. 
everybody knows that some of the dysfunction with Star Trek V was that it was Shatner's vanity project. And so, you know, that that led to certain things that happened behind the scenes and budget cuts and all of this stuff. But it's still logically plotted. It's still well shot. It's still reasonably well edited. And, you know, everybody just remembers the ending and fixates on that. Now, take everything you didn't like that you could look at from a technical perspective and say, that's why the ending of Star Trek V didn't work. And then make that a whole movie. But make it about somebody who's a retired CIA one-man army who, after being betrayed by an oil company led by Michael Caine, decides to walk through the spirit world and um, become a savior to the Inuit people and come back and destroy a giant oil rig refinery thingy uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And what's so difficult about watching this is you want to give it breaks because you know that the whole point is Seagal's actually trying to make it a, a big sweeping environmental message about leaving parks and refuges alone. You don't need to drill everywhere. You need to care for the environment. But the whole thing is basically, are you, you're familiar with Neil Breen? I've heard you talk about him on numerous occasions. Yes. Yes. Uh, For anybody who knows a Neil, the joy of a Neil Breen movie, you know that the whole thing is about uh, Neil Breen playing a main character who in some way is either space Jesus, a super hacker or something like that, working against the evil conglomerates and corporations and corrupt politicians that are working to destroy our world. He eventually ends up killing a ton of people. And then at the end, he pontificates for five to 10 minutes unbroken talking about um, everything that's wrong with the world and what we need to fix. That is on deadly ground. Okay. All right. But the, the speech at the end is if anybody has read uh, Atlas shrugged or is familiar with the character of John Galt, that book is well known for the fact that it has a, a monologue, basically, that's tens of pages long. That is what the ending feels like with this. He's standing in City Hall after he's murdered, murdered tons of people, <laughs> like cold-blooded, straight-up murdered people, and blown up an oil rig so spectacularly that if you do the math in your head, in one night, this man has caused more environmental damage than the worst company on earth does in six to 12 months. But he's the good guy. It's just so, so, oh, and by the way, one thing to watch the movie for is an unhealthy fascination with testicles. Okay. The first reel is dominated by nut shots and uh, male genital torture that it it really becomes pathological at the point where like you want to buy Seagal a therapist and try to figure out what's going on in his head. It's, it's a thing. All right. All right. Well, yeah. you know, it's interesting because this is the only movie he ever directed. You, it's a reason for that. Yeah. And he yeah. actually won the Razzie for worst director for this movie. Well earned. Uh, he well was learned. also, this movie was also nominated for Worst Picture, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Worst Actor, 
Sure. Worst actress. Uh, yeah. Worst screenplay. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And worst original song. Um, oh yes, That's, yes. <laughs> but uh-huh. it only won for that. for worst director. It was also nominated for a PFS award by the Political Film Society for Human Rights. Ah, well, there you go. Yeah. That's a silver lining. I guess so. It's a positive. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, you almost had me convinced to watch this movie with your excitement for it, but Uh I think this will be one that I pass on. I I can't blame you, Mike. I really can't blame you on this one. This is, uh, I was excited because I knew it was probably going to be sort of bad the way all of Seagal's movies essentially are sort of bad, Mm -hmm. but this was, this wasn't fun. Well, you know what? I could see myself having a little bit too much to drink with friends and watching this for fun so long as it did not cost a dime on top of any other service. Like if it's free on prime, yeah, you know, I'll drink a little bit and make fun of it, but I am not ever paying extra money for it ever again. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, are you saying that blue chips is your favorite movie of the year so far? Yeah, the of the movies we've gone back and revisited for 1994, Blue Chips takes the title. All right, and I say Re- Reality Bites takes the title for me. So I guess it would be safe to say that this is the best week we've seen so far. Hands down. Hands down. The upward trend, uh, it's, it's eking its way. 94 is the little year that could. Yeah, yeah. Well, next week uh, we, we take a look at the movies released on February 25th. 1994, and those movies include Wojciech, Savage Nights, Deadfall, Eight Seconds, and Sugar Hill. Three of those I'm interested in seeing. One of those I'm very interested in seeing. (laughs) I'm interested in seeing probably three of them as well, and uh, I don't know how many I'll get to, but yeah. I think we're both very interested in seeing <laughs> the one that we probably shouldn't be, but uh, you know what? It is what it is. If you guys want to guess, don't forget, uh, we, you know, we will share a, a link in the, the show descriptions and everything. Mike is putting together little trailer uh, fests. He rejected my name for it before, and that's okay. I'm still working on it. I'm still working on what the title can be. I, I, think, you, I think what my know. plan is, since we release these episodes on Mondays... I think yeah. my plan is to share the the playlist for the following week on Tuesday. I, you know, that makes, makes sense, sense, right? Okay. It does. Okay. So, you know, everybody play along at home. Watch and see which one has Mike and I both most intrigued of the list of possible movies to see. And also, if you've watched any of these movies, you know, let us know what you think. We're curious. Yes. Yeah. Very, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. I, you know, honestly, I look forward to uh, people's take on reality bites. That seems to be uh, one that uh, is more warmly embraced than uh, than by myself. So I'll be interested to see. Yeah, me how too. It goes down. Me too. So yeah, uh, nerdparty.com slash contact. Uh, drop a line for retro perspective, and we'll get a note and. Uh, That'll let us know, and we can, you know, go out to you or go to at Join Nerd Party on Twitter. And that's the uh, the the network's uh, Twitter account. But uh, Mike, where can people find you lurking around? Uh, 
Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K and also on Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. Uh, you can find me on Trek.fm doing a show called Tracks from the Edge. And you can find me on FilmDamagePod.com doing a show called Film Damage. Where can people find you, John? I am Kessel Junkie, usually hanging out on Twitter, Letterboxd, Goodreads, and you can find me here on the network co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, which is a Star Wars podcast of a different sort with my good friend Matt Rushing. So, uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of this week, and um, I know there's one movie I'm really looking forward to next week. Yep, me too. I can't wait. But until then, be kind, rewind. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.